Well, what do you think of when the Apostle John's name is mentioned? A whole bunch of things, I'm sure. He was one of the 12, author of a gospel, one of Jesus' closest friends. He cared for Jesus' mother after Jesus died and was raised again. He wrote the Revelation, and he wrote three short letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You knew all that. But what was the virtue that John spoke of most often in his writings? If you heard Father Kevin's sermon a couple weeks ago, you know it's truth and love. Love. In his gospel, he mentions love 39 times and assures us that God freely opens his arms of love to the whole world. In John 3.16, we've just heard it read. In 1 John, he mentions love 27 times. Jesus' love for us, our love for him, and our love for one another. For John, it's all about love. All that he says or writes seems to be wrapped up in love. And 3 John is no exception. Though it's overlooked and sometimes completely ignored, perhaps because of its brevity, 3 John is our focus tonight. This short book raises questions that are kind of hard to answer unless you were there in the church, knew the circumstances surrounding the letter, or unless you were part of the people who are mentioned, we could say 3 John sort of feels like it's been redacted a bit. We can read it, but there are blank spaces, facts missing that raise questions about the story behind the story. It's very possible that this letter is addressed to an individual who's part of a church that John had never personally visited, though he oversaw it and was known as an elder. As we read, first we hear John commending those to whom the letter is addressed. He begins in verse 1 with a salutation. Do you remember the days when children were taught how to write letters? First comes the salutation, right? Um, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, his salutation. John, as an elder, a pastor, is writing to Gaius, who is a part of the church. I remember a few people Bill and I knew who we consider sort of informal elders at the time we met them. I think Marilyn Stewart would have been considered an informal elder. She touched all of our lives. So we were in our 20s and Paul and Beulah Mason were in their 60s. Paul had left his accounting career when he was in his 40s, and he had been trained as, uh, trained as a dental technician. And when we met him, he was serving with New Tribes Mission in Bolivia as a dentist in a leprosarium. That got our attention. Every three or four years, Paul and Beulah would visit our Baptist church in California, and in between, they wrote letters to us and to others letters that are addressing and did address the questions that we were asking. Some questions we're still asking about how to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. In those days, we were trying to decide, you know, 
the way that you show the Lord that you were serious about him in those days is you volunteered to become a missionary. And we were trying to discern that. When we'd get a letter from Paul, I'd meet Bill at the door because he was a baseball coach at that point. He'd come through the door about 8 o'clock at night and I would hold up the letter and say, we got a letter from the, um, a, an epistle from Paul. We got an epistle from Paul. <clears throat> Letters from elders have been used by God in our lives to form us. We still have some of those letters from the Masons in the basement in one of our many memorabilia boxes, along with some from Bob and Bobby Phillips, who were also friends of ours and were served in Hong Kong. And at that point, Bill was contemplating going to Hong Kong, taking me along, and teaching physical education at Hong Kong Baptist College. And so we got letters then from the Phillips also. Just what we needed, we'd say, after we read a letter and then reread it. Today, it might be an email, a blog, a Facebook or Instagram post, or a WhatsApp video call that contain words laced with love and care and encouragement. A little hard to keep in a memorabilia box, but nonetheless important. These continue to be important pieces of communication that God can use to change our lives. Maybe you have a note or a letter you've saved that you go back to again and again for counsel or encouragement, or perhaps from time to time, you'll send a note to someone to encourage them. I have a friend who sends me a card and a note every Valentine's Day, every year, expressing her appreciation for our friendship. These words can be almost sacramental in their impact. They so deeply touch our souls. The power of communication that's rooted in love. John is writing to Gaius, whom he loves in the truth, and without question, that truth is Jesus. Next, in 3 John, blessings are given, again, as expressions of love. Giving a blessing is one of the most profound ministries granted to a priest at their ordination. In the Old Testament, fathers and mothers blessed adult children. Jesus blessed children in the New Testament, and he encourages his followers to bless those who persecute them. So here, after the greeting, John blesses his friend with these words in verse 2. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Some years ago, I had to have a surgical biopsy. We all understand the anxiety that can set in when the potential for bad news is kind of hanging over our heads. Sometimes our sleep is disturbed. So I remember at church, it was 1998, I asked for prayer and my pastor at the time prayed these words over me. Linda, I pray that you may live a long life in glowing health. I held those words, repeated them whenever fear entered in as I waited for the test results. 
I have prayed that prayer of blessing over a number of others who were facing potential health issues. I've also prayed the blessing from verse 2 in 3 John, and I commend it to you for now or for the future, that you will enjoy good health, that all will go well, even as your soul is getting along well. So we see that John starts his letter with communication and blessing filled with love, God's and his. This letter encourages me to stay in touch with people who are important to me when we're separated by miles or a full schedule or just because I'm distracted. Then John, the elder, takes his communication a step deeper and he writes, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. And he says, I have no greater joy. Occasionally, I, I think you will understand this and maybe experience it as well, we have the joy of hearing from someone who met the Lord or went deeper with him when we knew each other or were a part of a ministry we had been involved in. And a couple of years ago, we got a phone call from Jeff who had rummaged through uh, phone records and the internet to find us. He had attended a Michigan college where we had conducted a campus ministry and was now retiring from his career as a pharmacist. He called for one reason, to say thank you. Indeed, there's no greater joy. And that joy is again rooted in love. Those first four verses of 3 John encourage loving communication with friends, current and past, near and far. Just if you don't remember anything else about those verses, remember the importance of loving communication and blessing your friends. And now in verses 5 through 8, John encourages loving hospitality and faithful care for visiting strangers who were traveling and sharing the gospel. He considered these traveling Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, missionaries who ministered for the name. They knew what John meant when he said, for the name. It was enough to say just that much. It was the name they all held, that they all hallowed. It was the name of Jesus. It was the name they had given their lives to. Without using the exact words of Matthew, John models and encourages Christian hosts to welcome disciples as though they were welcoming Jesus. Jesus had taught them, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Believers who couldn't travel themselves to preach the gospel could welcome into their homes those who did. And in that, they became co-workers alongside the traveling missionaries and alongside Jesus himself. They made visible the faith they both shared. And why did they do it? For the sake of the name. The name. They were welcomed and they welcomed others. 
John the Elder is the apostle of love in the first eight verses of 3 John. And then we encounter a section in which we are not given much detail, except that John strongly corrects a leader in the church. Many of you know I'm a two on the Enneagram, at times overly concerned about what people think of me. That means that confronting people is hard for me. And maybe that's true for some of you as well. It doesn't seem a very loving thing to do. But oddly, or so it seems, John, whose whole life and work is wrapped in love, doesn't seem hesitant at all to speak a word of correction when it's needed. Words of correction and love are not necessarily incompatible. Every parent knows this. We have only to read how John handles this difficult situation in a church under his care that underscores how very important it is at times to speak the truth to another who is on a wrong path, who is moving toward evil instead of goodness. Sometimes it's a hard truth that has to be communicated. And John isn't reluctant to mention names. Here in 3 John, the troublemaker's name is Diotrephes. It was time for his attitudes and actions to be brought into the light, no longer overlooked. Remember, John is the disciple of love, but Diotrephes, also a leader, had forsaken God's love. He was living out of a misplaced love. He was living out of a love that was focused on himself. John says it this way. He loves to be first. He loves to be first. It's quite simple and quite terrible at the same time. And it carries over into the 21st century. Have you encountered leaders like this? When I read this indictment of Diotrephes, it gripped me. I knew exactly what he was talking about. Loving to be first presupposes arrogance, narcissism, a need to have the last word about everything, lording it over the flock, the flock that he was to care for. Abuse of power is how it's labeled today. Diotrephes was living from a self-obsessed kind of love. Loves to be first. It was chilling then, and it's chilling now. God hated it then, and he hates it now. Tish Harrison Warren describes this kind of pastor or leader this way. I have been thrown into deep doubt and a crisis of faith from the failures of church leaders. I have wept bitter tears as a powerful male pastor surrounded himself with a tight inner ring of adorers and responded harshly to any he deemed unworthy of his careful affections. Abuse of power. Diotrephes did the exact opposite of what John called for and modeled 
as he oversaw churches. And that was living from a theology and practice of love and truth. As we hear of ungodly leadership in many churches today, we realize that pastors who love to be first, love to be in charge, but who are wrongly considered strong leaders are almost always at the root of the problem. I'm so thankful, so thankful for Church of the Savior and its pastors. God has saved us. God has saved us from this all too common affliction that has ruined churches and hurt people. Thank you, Father Kevin and Mother Karen. Thank you, Bishop Todd. A thought came to me as I read the words, love to be first. I wondered whether John saw any of himself in Diotrephes. You remember the times when the brothers, James and John, yes, this was the same John who wrote Third John, when they were caught arguing over who should be greatest or first. When Jesus overheard them, he called them out. So in his quieter moments, thinking about Diotrephes and perhaps praying for him, John may very well have been reminded of his own behavior and motivations as a young man. And I'm guessing he was appalled as he reflected on his own history. But he had been redeemed from the selfishness of his own youth, and he had been forgiven and transformed, so there was hope for Diotrephes. But at this moment, something needed to be done. So John promises, when I come, I will call attention to what Diotrephes is doing. John calls out the misplaced love bluntly, clearly bringing it into the light of Christ, calling it evil. So there are some hard words here in the middle of the epistle. But there are also the beautiful words that we've already talked about of loving communication, blessings, hospitality that surround the arrogance and lying and misplaced love, showing us what love that is focused in a godly direction actually looks like. I'm drawn to this short letter because of the way the Apostle John speaks so pointedly and personally to the people in this church. He now commends one of the brothers, Demetrius, who is well spoken of by everyone. We all know those kinds of wonderful people. And then John, who began his letter with love, wraps it all up in love at the end, loving God and loving others with all of our hearts. He ends with some very practical advice that follows us again into the presence. Present. John had so much to tell them. He'd taken the time to write, but he wanted to travel to see them face to face as soon as he could. Being in one another's presence is so much better than being separated. We've all learned that, right? We've learned it through, <clears throat> through the, um, what we've just been through, that, that the pandemic, we have all felt the relief of when we come back together, seeing one another in person after a long separation. 
to talk, to shake hands, sort of tentatively at first. I wondered if I would ever be able to hug anyone again, but you're living proof that I can. To fellowship together, to worship together. John's desire is still very instructive and practical today, modeling God's desire for his church to be together whenever that's possible. And now in closing, he imparts peace through another blessing. Peace to you, he says. In other words, receive the peace of Christ. These wonderful words have followed us from the first century into the 21st in the liturgy. What a wonderful gift. And finally, he says, greet our friends by name. Names are so important. Here at Savior, as we warmly welcome people, and we are encouraged to go the extra mile to learn one another's names, have you asked someone their name two or three times, but it just hasn't stuck? I have. Don't avoid those folks out of embarrassment. Get all your courage up and ask them their name again. And then write it down. They won't be offended. They'll know that you care. Greet new friends by name, even if you have to ask for another repeat. From the beginning to the end of 3 John is love, a love that embraces Jesus and his people. The elder John, the apostle, models it for us, and I want to end with a real-life experience that reminds me of that love that flowed out of John. In the 1970s, when we were in campus ministry, Bill went to a retreat where John Stott was speaking. How many of you know who John Stott was? Oh, you're good. Very good. I thought maybe I was just too old. <laughs> um, I wasn't with Bill on the first part of the retreat. I was caring for the kids. But toward the end of the week, I was able to get away and join him. And when I arrived, it was lunchtime, and the lunch line was kind of forming. Bill greeted me with the words, do you want to meet John Stott? I said, right, thinking that's not going to happen, considering John Stott was a world-renowned Bible teacher and we were anonymous 30-something campus ministers. I thought to myself, he'll be having lunch with the honchos. We walked into the lunchroom and sure enough, there was John Stott. He came right over, greeted Bill by name. They had had breakfast together that morning. Bill introduced me, and immediately John made eye contact, asked about our children, and we talked for several minutes. He gave me his full attention. He wasn't in a hurry to rush off. My heart was warmed. I was humbled by his love. I've never forgotten it. Here was a man who absolutely did not love to be first. His love was not misplaced. He took the time to get to know a young couple who he would never see again. He loved for the sake of the name. Scott McKnight writes, when we live according to God's design, we become people who love. When an expert in the law asked Jesus what it takes to receive God's approval, what did Jesus tell him? Love God 
love others. Loving God and loving others is all we are called to do. This is Scott McKnight speaking. Loving God and loving others is all we are called to do, though it is an all that goes to the depths of our being and transforms our character into love. May it be so. May it be so. Amen. Let's be still for just a moment.